Sir, we are live. Uh, good morning. Um, we are convening the uh, February 4th, 2022 Assessment Appeals Board meeting. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. Okay. Uh, one moment, please, Mr. Chair. We are still uh, adding applicants to the from the waiting room to the session. Give us just about five seconds longer, please. Sure. You let me know when we're ready. Hello. Okay, I'm gonna do the roll call now. Board member Weathers. Here. Board member Gremmels. Here. Chair Kugelman. Here. Uh, Based on guidance from the California Department of Public Health and the California Governor's Office, in order to minimize the spread of the COVID-19 virus, the Marin County Assessment Appeals Board is holding hearings via video conference. This hearing is being recorded. Please remember that this is a formal proceeding and treat it as if you were present in uh, the room. There are multiple participants in this proceeding. So if you're not speaking, please mute yourself so we do not pick up background noise or unwanted audio feedback. Please take a moment to locate the mute button on your screen. Clicking the microphone will enable you to mute and unmute. If the board mutes you, we will let you know that we will be doing so. When you want to speak, please raise your hand. When called on, you may unmute yourself and identify yourself. Please speak one at a time and pause prior to speaking in case there is any audio video lag. The board members have a copy of the exhibits that you have been that you have provided, but will not review them until the hearing begins. If you have additional exhibits that you would like to show the board, please be ready to upload them to the Zoom chat. If we run into any issues, the board or either party may request that the hearing be paused and rescheduled to a mutually agreeable date and time. Clerk, will you please read the procedures for today's hearings? Procedures for today's meeting are as follows. When you are not speaking, please be sure to mute your microphone to minimize background noise and to unmute when you wish to speak. Applicants, when it's time for your appeal, please show your video. Board members, staff, and applicants, you can also raise your hand to allow the moderator and the board to easily identify when you wish to speak. All votes during the hearing will be by roll call. Board members, please state your name for the record and if you are making a motion or a second. Exhibits received in advance of the hearing will be distributed by the clerk via Zoom chat function. It is recommended that all participants download exhibits to their computer when you see them in the chat, the Zoom chat. When you leave Zoom and then rejoin, even from a breakout room or the waiting room, you will not have access to the exhibits previously submitted. Exhibits to be shared during the hearing that have not been provided to the clerk in advance of the hearing can be shared by submitting party, applicant or assessor via Zoom chat. You also have the option to share your screen for any documents that have been submitted. When sharing documents on the screen, please be mindful of personal information that may be included. The hearing is being webcast. In case of internet difficulties, please make a note of the phone number to call in 
to the meeting. Now I'm gonna go ahead and administer the oath. Will everybody wishing to give testimony at today's hearing, please show your video and raise your right hand. Do you solemnly state under penalty of perjury that the evidence you shall give in this matter shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? If, if there's anyone who did not answer yes, please indicate by raising your hand and I will unmute you. Okay, all right. Seeing none, all individuals have affirmed the oath. Thank you. All right, Madam Clerk, if you would put uh, today's agenda in the chat for all the uh, participants, please. And while she's doing that, I'll just go ahead and um, I think today is pretty straightforward. We have a few uh, matters that I think will be fairly quick that we're going to start with, and then we'll get to the um, the. Uh, I think the loan uh, appeal that we're gonna hear today, which is the uh, Cooney home matter. So one, I'll give everybody a few minutes. That chat, the agenda is now in the chat on the right side. So please go ahead and download that and open that. I'll give you guys a couple minutes, a couple seconds on that. Anyone having trouble accessing that document? All right, so Madam Clerk, if you would, uh, I guess, call the, uh, the Jingle Bells LLC matter, please. Okay, the four cases, 19 19-0286, 19-0287, 19-0288, 19-0289, the applicant Jingle Bells LLC doing business as Taco Bell. Thank you. Who who uh, who here is uh is there is there someone here on behalf of Jingle Bells LLC? Oh, Mr. Singh. Hey, good morning, Mr. Singh. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Um. So, uh, our recollection is that this case had been called in the November hearing. Um. I believe nobody appeared, and we, the matter was dismissed for kind of failure to appear. Um. And the clerk has informed me that um, you provided some. You'd like to essentially have the petition continue and you provided some background. So would you tell us kind of the circumstances regarding the, uh, the November hearing and why, why you were unable to appear? Yes, you know, we had some family health issues. Um, my wife's sister, she met with a car accident and uh, it was kind of a critical situation. So, you know, we had to drive there to support her and her family. She's got two kids. And while we were there, um, you know, my wife got COVID there when we were going in and out of the hospital, you know, checking her out and all that. So those two, three weeks, you know, there was, there was a lot of chaos and, and a lot of things fell through the crack. So I was not able to respond to some of these, uh, you know, business things that were pending. And that's the reason why I couldn't respond to them. So I Okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, one question I'd have for you is I believe that there are some, some timing deadlines that apply to your case would the applicant be willing to agree to a waiver of those, the two-year statute um, with respect to these assessments? That's for you, Mr. Singh. 
Um, <clears throat> what was the question again? I couldn't understand that. Essentially, there is a two-year statute of limitations regarding your cases. And if we were to continue with your case, it would be outside or potentially be, go beyond that two-year statute. So what we would request is that the applicant agree to a waiver of the applicable statute of limitations so that we could hear the case and rule on it. Is, is that something you'd be agreeable with? Yes. Okay. Is there someone from the assessor's office that wishes to speak to this case? Mr. Seavey, good morning. Good morning. Um, the assessor has uh, no objection to this case being reinstated by the board. Okay. Um, so Chairman uh, Tom Weathers, I would move to accept uh, or to grant the request for reconsideration um, on the condition that he waived the statute, which he has indicated he will do. Uh, I will. I will second that. Mr. Rosales, do you have a comment? Yes, I have a question. Um, the assessments in question under appeal um, resulted from an audit. Um, during the audit, we did not get the type of cooperation we typically like to see in an audit. So the only thing I ask for Mr. Singh is. If, if, if and when we proceed with these appeals, if we could get some good cooperation in terms of getting good financial records from you? Yes, I mean, whatever financial records we have, we'll provide that to you. And we okay. also have, uh, you know, we are planning to remodel that store. So I have all the plans and all that, which are approved by the architects. So I'll send all those documents, whatever I have in that list. Got it. So we'll have additional documents for that. Do you prefer um, in any exchange to go through you or your CPA? How do you prefer? Um, both, you know, some of these uh, documents are with the architect, so I'll forward that to you. So I'll kind of coordinate in between. Okay, thank you. And, and Madam, Madam Clerk, before you call uh, the, the roll call for the motion, um, Mr. Singh, Madam Clerk will work with you to get the written, the, the signed waiver. So we'll need that. And I'm, can I, what's the correct time frame here that we, Monday or Tuesday to have the written waiver? We should have it in at least by Wednesday next week. Okay. okay. By five, so I, I, five p.m. Please. Okay. Is that is that is that uh, doable, Mr. Singh? Yes. Okay. All right. If you please call the the motion. Um, hold on one second. Well, let me let me amend my motion, Chairman. Uh, I'll amend the motion to agree to grant reconsideration on the condition that the assessor or excuse me the clerk receives a signed waiver of the statute of limitations by Wednesday February 9th I'll second that motion yeah. uh, very well so and Mr. Chair did you want to identify a date to reschedule these cases uh, yes please um, it looks like probably with this board, the earliest next available date would be July 29th, 2022. And it's possible that we would be back in person in the board chambers on that date. Mr. Singh, is July 29th agreeable for you? Um. We're just looking at my calendar, just give me one second. 
Hmm. So July 22nd? 29. Yeah, that should be fine. Um, Mr. Chair, uh, may I speak on behalf of the assessor? Please. Can we ask the applicant to submit all the information that's needed to review this appeal at least 30 days before the next hearing? So that would be at least by June 29th of 2022. That would allow us enough time to review the information. Rick, yeah, that seems that, like a reasonable request. Is that, does that give you enough time, Rick? Sorry, how to unmute myself. Yes, it does. Okay, thank you. Okay, so Madam Clerk, I think you need to call uh, call roll on the motion, please. Very well. So the uh, motion to continue cases 19-0286, contingent upon the clerk receiving signed waivers by Wednesday, February 9th by 5 p.m., with the applicant required to provide additional information as requested by the assessor at least 30 days in advance of the July 29th hearing. Uh, I have motion as weathers and on this revised motion, uh, second, Mr. Kugelman. Um, if that is incorrect, please advise. Otherwise, uh, the roll call is uh, board member weathers. Oh, yes. Board member Gremmels. Yes. And chair Kugelman. Yes. All right, well, thank you, Mr. Singh. Please please work with the assessor's office to get them the information that they're requesting. All right, thank you, Alex. Thank you. All right, Madam Clerk, if you would call uh, the Reich matter, please, next. Okay, that'll be case number 20-0024. The applicant is Camille Reich, and I do not see her. She is there. Is there anyone present for this case? Two zero dash zero zero two four. We'll just we'll wait a wait a beat. Okay, it's my understanding understanding that there is no one present on behalf of the applicant. Um, the clerk's office has informed uh, the board that the applicant by email uh, indicated that uh, it would not be challenging um, or continuing with this appeal. Is that correct? Um, would someone from the clerk's office would speak to that? Uh, yes, and uh, Mr. CB, I saw that you had your hand raised. I understand that the Reichs actually sent the email to you. Did you want to speak more directly to this? Sure. So um, I've been in communication with the Reichs for the last couple of weeks regarding this appeal. Um, the assessor had uh, uh, proactively reduced the assessment um, a month prior to their filing of this appeal. And they were um, confused on which role years were being changed and which years they applied for their assessment change so um, in speaking with them they are satisfied with the reduction that the assessor made for the 2020 valuation and wanted to withdraw the appeal I sent them the withdrawal form via email twice but um, due to technological difficulties they were unable to 
return the signed uh, withdrawal form to me via email. So they sent me an email yesterday just stating that they were not going to be attending the hearing today. Okay, well, I think in light of that, um, I'll make a motion to deny the petition for lack of appearance with the understanding that they're really withdrawing. I'll second that. Board Member Weathers? Yes. Board Member Gremmels? Yes. Chair Kugelman? Yes. All right, well, let's move on to uh, the next matter. So, Madam Clerk, if you would call the, uh, the Cooney Home matter, please. That will be case 19-0297, George Cooney Home. Good morning, Mr. Cooney Home. How are you? Fine. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, nice to have you here. Um, so your your matter is the only substantive matter we have today. So this is your opportunity to present um, uh, your appeal. Um, Chair, uh, board members Weathers and Gremmels and I will be hearing it. Um, and you know, just a little little context. You know, we we are totally unfamiliar with your matter. I've seen none of the documentation. Just as you kind of move forward. Um, so before we move forward here, I just want to. Um, get a little background, I guess, if we could upload the petition itself into the uh, chat box. Yes, it's on its way. One moment, please. And who, who from the assessor's office will be kind of handling this matter? Rick Rosales will be handling it. I will, Mr. Chair. Good morning, Mr. Rosales, again. Good, good morning. Uh, Mr. Chairman, if, if we can, if you would like, the assessor can provide a little bit of information about this appeal and uh, give some context on the procedures. Uh, Dave CB is ready to give some information to you if you're ready to um, review. Maybe you still want to take a couple minutes to look at the application. Just let us know when you're ready. Yeah, I don't see the application yet. Am I, am I missing it? In the chat. It's on its way. One moment. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Uh, my my wife just texted me. She might be joining as well. Tracy Lanier. Okay. So then she would need to be sworn in if she does enter the. Okay the chat. Okay, yeah, Mr. CB, if, if you do want to give us a little bit of context, please proceed. Okay, so application 190297 uh, was, was timely filed on an escaped assessment. Um, the notice, per the application, the notice date was May 5th of 2020, and the application was filed on June 22nd of 2020. So it is timely. Um, it is an escaped assessment on a, um, a, a vessel, a boat. And so per the assessment appeals manual on page 66, I'm sorry, where are we at here? So on page 88, sorry, um, in, in regarding hearings where a penalty 
um, has been applied by the assessor, the, the burden of proof is on the assessor to justify the imposition of that penalty. So, um, uh, and then also further down on that page under escaped assessment hearings, um, the assessor bears the burden of proof and is required to present evidence first. So we are willing to um, present our case first with the, the burden of proof on us. Mr. Cunningham, do you have any sort of comment to that or do you agree? Um, well, I think this was a twofold matter. I mean, I, I didn't like the assessment fee. Um, the other matter was that uh, the assessment was for much more than I paid for the boat. Okay, I, I guess what, what, I'm, what I'm asking is just as far as who carries the burden in this matter, the, the assessor's office is saying that, they, that it has the initial burden to show that the penalty is um, correctly assessed. That's I what I'm asking. Have, I don't have an objection for the um, for you to present first the assessor's office. Okay. Unless uh, either of the other board members have a comment to that, I, I would. Um, I'm looking at the manual, and that appears to be correct. So I would I would let the assessor's office proceed. And, and if I may, I'm going to give a little bit more context, um, just so everyone is on the board is where as, as as well as Mr. Kuhnholm, um is aware of what we understand is under appeal is there's um, Mr. Kunaholm purchased a boat and it was not reported to the assessor's office. So we therefore escaped the assessment. We found out about it. I think it was a year later. And so we issued an escape assessment, meaning it wasn't in the roll year of which we discovered the boat. And then we also applied a penalty. So Mr. Kunaholm is challenging the assessed value, and I believe also the penalty as well. Is that mis is that correct? The initial application did have that in it. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I just wanted to make sure the board members understood what was being challenged. Thank you. Thank you. So then, Rick, do you want to uh, drop your valuation report into the chat? Yes, I'm going to draw my presentation and my work papers into the chat. And Mr. Chairman and board members, let me know when you're ready. I don't know if you want to review it first. Board members, Weathers, Gremmels, do you have the... Um... The presentation open or do you need a moment? I am opening it right now. I have it open. I'm uh, getting there just a second. No problem. Okay. All right, Mr. Rosales, you can proceed, okay. please. Good morning, Mr. Chairman. Good morning, board members. Thank you for, for not allowing me to present. Um, I do want to commend Mr. Cooney home. He did work with us. He was cooperative and I do appreciate that. Um, the property ID is CF 2032 UP. It signifies it's registered with the DMV. Um, the vessel manufacturer is a Saphir. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. 
It's based out of the Netherlands. The model is an SE26. The year is a 2018. The length of the boat is 26 feet. It's a sailboat type sloop. Um, it was acquired in 2018 per the shipping documents that Mr. Cunningham has provided. Um, as I mentioned, the vessel was purchased by the applicant in 2018. It was brought into Marin County during March of 18, and it was shipped from Rotterdam, Netherlands. Vessels are personal property, and personal property is accessible as of January the 1st of each year, which is also known as the lien date per California Revenue and Taxation Code Sections 2192 and 722. And I put all my exhibits in, or all my code sections in exhibit ones and two, if you want to reference them at your convenience. Um, the first year this vessel would be accessible would be as of January the 1st of 2019, based on its arrival into Marin in 2018. So as Andrea had mentioned, the assessor first discovered this vessel per the applicant's 2020 vessel property statement, which he filed with us, indicating a move-in date of 2018. And then subsequent to this 2020 filing, the assessor enrolled in escape assessment for lien date 19 during May of 2020. So I'm on the second page of my presentation. Per Revenue and Taxation Code 441A, each person owning personal property having an aggregate cost of $100,000 or more for any assessment year shall file a signed property statement with the assessor. For 2019, the applicant did not file a 2019 property statement by May 7th, which is the penalty date. If you don't file by May 7th, and you're required to, you will incur a 10% non-file penalty on the valuation of your vessel. Um, and that is per RNT code section 463A, which reads, if any person who is required by law or is requested by the assessor to make an annual property statement fails to file an annual property statement within the time limit specified by section 441 or make or and subscribe the affidavit respecting his or her name and place of residence, a penalty of 10% of the assessed value on the unreported taxable tangible property of that person placed on the current row shall be added to the assessment made on the current row. Um, so that's a lot of legal speak, but you can see the, ex um, the code section in exhibit one also if you want. The subject vessel was purchased in March of 18 for a reported purchase price of 114,924. That is what Mr. Cunningham reported on his 2020 vessel property statement. The purchase price was accepted by the assessor and market value was derived using the purchase price as recent purchases are the best evidence of market value. Personal property, as I mentioned, is assessed at market value every year as defined in RNT code section 110. The assessor, when, val when valuing property, considers three approaches to valuation. And these are the comparative sales approach, the income approach, and the cost approach. Um, since the vessel is not producing income, we didn't consider the income approach. Comparative sales was considered by the assessor, but there's limitations to this approach as of lean date 2019. 
um, due to the subject property being purchased new, there wasn't a lot of reliable sales data as of lien date 19. So it was purchased, it arrived into Marin during, I gotta go back to my notes, in April of 18, and it was purchased new. So when you look forward eight months, there wouldn't be a lot of comparable sales for this year's make and model because it's eight months after the, the purchase. And it was difficult to find any reliable sales data on the internet um, or in any guides for this particular make and model. Therefore, the assessor relied on the cost approach to value the property. Um, when a vessel is purchased new in, the, in an open market transaction, the cost approach is a good representation of market value, especially when vessels are built by little known manufacturers, such as it appears to be with Saphir boats. It's a European manufacturer. There's not a lot of market activity, I believe, in the US for these types of boats. There probably is more transactions in the US um, in comparison to, to more dynamic markets for, for boats such as like a Boston Whaler or a Catalina boat. Um, the assessor can also reference published guides such hey, as- Mr. Rosales? Yes. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. I, I'm not an appraiser. So can you just give me the 30 second thumbnail of what the cost approach is? I get comparative sales mm -hmm. and I get income, but what, what's a cost approach? How does that work? The cost approach uses the original or historical and or historical cost, which should be the same. And we depreciate from that cost, either using a percent good table supplied to us from the state, or if we do a sales analysis on many boats to determine what the depreciation is for these makes and models. In this particular case, mm -hmm. we use state factors. The state publishes depreciation rates for us to use if we cannot find good comparative sales or if we cannot find comparable listings in the valuation guides. So basically it's cost minus depreciation. Great, thank you. Got it. Yep. Um, the assessor also, also, like I said, uses valuation guides and there's two valuation guides we use, which are Buck and NADA. NADA is published by JD Power. Um, because this was a recent purchase for a new boat, there was no listings in any of the two guides. Typically, the two guides will list used boats and because this was a new boat, there was no listings for this boat. So we couldn't reference a valuation guide to direct us to what could be market value. So I'm on page three of my presentation. So I give a snippet here of the cost figures that were used to value the boat for 2019. So the boat was had a conversion from euros to dollars. I believe Mr. Cunningham paid in dollars and they were converted to euros for, to the manufacturer. So the purchase price or the sales price by the manufacturer in euros was 98,235. Mr. Cunningham reported 114,924 as a conversion or translation into US dollars. Um, looking at the applicant's wire transfers, the assessor determined a cost before tax and shipping of $115,176. Um, shipping costs are part of the full economic cost to purchase an asset. That added 6100 
for a total paid cost of 121276 before tax. If you add sales tax in the state of California, the total purchase price comes out to 131585 um, The addition of taxes, freight, and transportation charges to the list price of a vessel is consistent with an appraisal approach that gives consideration to the consumer's total cost in arriving at market value. Per California Tax Rule 10B, if a cost approach is employed, the cost shall include the full economic cost. And like I said, that includes freight and shipping, and it also includes sales tax. And that exhibit is in, or that R&T code is in exhibit number two. Um, since we use the cost approach, the Board of Equalization publishes annually vessel valuation factors the, that the assessors can employ. And I say can because like I said, we could also use publica publication guides and we could also use sales comparative or sales comps. But because we couldn't find any good sales comps because it was a recent purchase and it wasn't listed in the valuation guides, we deferred to the cost approach using the state's valuation factors. Um, and if you want to look at the state's valuation factors, they're in exhibit number three. I believe I put four, but it's actually number three, which is, no, it, it's exhibit number four, I'm sorry. It's page eight. And for 2019, the factor for a brand new sailboat purchased in 2018 was one, which means the state recommended no depreciation based on the purchase price in 18. For this particular case, we did apply depreciation and deviated from the state's recommended factor. We applied a depreciation rate of 4.28% based on the applicant's reported purchase price of 114,924. Using the actual cost, including shipping, we actually gave the applicant 9.3% depreciation and the actual cost would be 121,276. So based on the applicant's reported purchase price, he got depreciation of 4.28%. If we had known about shipping, we actually gave him 9.3% depreciation. Many times an applicant won't report the shipping cost as part of their reported purchase price, or they may not include sales tax. We see that a lot. Um, but we're bound to go off of the information they give us on the vessel property statement. I'm not saying Mr. Cunningham did that intentionally. Um, I'm just saying we, we accepted his cost that he reported on the property statement. Um, the applicant's opinion of value is $84,075 for 2019. If you take that cost into account, and compare it to the actual cost of 121,000, the applicant is asking for 30.6% depreciation from the time he purchased the boat in April to the time we assessed it. 30.6% um, to me seems a lot. Um, I feel the assessor was fair in applying 4.28% depreciation. Um, and the assessor feels that based on a lack of reliable sales data, 
and sales comps, we were unable to reach a resolution with Mr. Cooney home on reducing the, the, the assessed value that we enrolled for 2019. Um, and based on that, the assessor asked the board to sustain our value as market value for 2019. Um, that is my presentation. I don't, if the board has any questions, I could answer them. Or if Mr. Cooney home has any questions, I could answer them. And that value being, is that the 119350? That's the value. That value, so 110 is the base value. And then okay. when we add sales tax, which we're required to do so by the state, it comes out to 119350. And because Mr. Cooney home did not file by May 7th of 2019 per property tax rule, 463 or RNT code section 463, we have to apply a 10% penalty because the vessel cost over a hundred thousand. And if you own, if you purchase per personal property in the state that cost over a hundred thousand, you're required by law to report it to the assessor. Does the assessor um, have any ability? Does the, the assessor's office have any discretion to waive the penalty? No, I don't have any discretion myself. Um, the only time we do remove it is if it's our error. So if for some reason, Mr. Cooney home or an applicant in general did file timely and we didn't receive the statement, but they could prove it to us either through a confirmation from the U.S. Post Office, then we'll reverse it. But it would have to be our error. Okay, I appreciate that. And I just want to know for the record, I'm troubled by paying tax on tax. By adding the 8.5% sales tax, you're effectively taxing Mr. Kunahome. He's paying a personal property tax based on a value of property that includes a sales tax. So part of his property tax is based on a, another tax. And I just put that out there as to me, that's troubling, but that may be the state of the law and we may not have no discretion to uh, change that or avoid that. But personally to me, that that's troubling. That, that's yeah, that correct, Mr. Weathers. And, you know, yes, we understand that um, concern, uh, but we are following the Revenue and Taxation Code, the California Constitution. We're following all the, uh, the letter of the law, as you mentioned, in order to execute these assessments. Yeah, the state reviews sales tax as an element of value. It's a question we have to defend here all the time. Um, and it's probably not something that that personally I feel comfortable with, but we are, we have to follow the law. Mr. Rosales, can, can I ask a question just for clarification? Sure. Uh, by the way, thank you. Presentation is very clear. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. And thank you for identifying the code sections that you think are relevant here. Mm -hmm. um, you identified that there was a, in 2020, there was a, a vessel property statement and then for 2019, there was no property statement filed. Are, are those the same the same statements, except for the year, or are those different different types of statements? No, it's the same statement. Just um, they would have a different year on them. 
Okay. And, and, and sometimes discovery by us may happen late for a variety of reasons. In this case, because it was registered with the DMV, we do get DMV listings depending on when a vessel is registered with the DMV. We may get that report timely or not. It just depends. Um, or if the vessel's already registered, say like in another state or it's coming from another country, we may not timely enroll it just because our discovery methods are late based on the agencies who report to us. Um, we prefer to enroll it timely to avoid the penalty, right? Because it's easier for us to, to have disagreements in terms of valuation with, with an applicant or a taxpayer. Okay. And the, the 2020 statement was timely filed? Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, Mr. Cunningham, you're welcome to, at this time, to ask you know, whatever questions you have of Mr. Rosales uh, about his presentation. Um, okay. Um, and I'll, I guess some of this might be comments because of the legislation which has been presented. Um, in prior experience uh, living in a different state, unfortunately, uh, registering with the DMV would trigger all the tax processes. Uh, I guess it doesn't in California. Um, so it's a little troubling because I did file that, I filed that DMV application before the boat was even received in the U.S. in January of 2018. So it may just be a matter of being troubling. Um, I, I mean, there's a general concern in that as with a car or anything else you purchase, uh, it immediately depreciates. I don't see this, this valuation is being built up from the bottom. And I don't think it represents fair market value. But again, I may be talking in the spirit of the way things should work and not necessarily the way the laws are. Um, excuse uh, me. Excuse me, Mr. Yeah. Coneyholm. I apologize for interrupting. But yeah. I wanted to know if you would like the clerk to upload the exhibits that you had submitted. And if so, which ones, if you can identify them. Okay, I, I provided them both in paper and electronically. Um, so I don't know if anyone received the paper copies. No, no. Did, unless you want to upload them, whatever would be convenient for you. Mr. Cunningham, is that the paper copy you gave me? Yes. I could upload it for you. Well, um, well I also uploaded the electronic copies on Wednesday. And so what I'll, what I'll do, I'm just gonna generalize my feedback about the process. And then I'll go through my evidence of what I think the boat should be valued. And that's when we'll upload the attachments. Um, yeah, and Mr. Kudenholm, let, let me clarify here, just, just in the way the procedure goes here is typically after the primary presentation, mm -hmm. the other, other uh, party will kind of question, you know, specific questions to that presentation. It's a little bit awkward, but specific questions to Mr. Rosales about his methodology or certain facts. And then once that's completed, then you would kind of have be able to present your case um, throughout. So I, if you don't have any specific questions for Mr. Rosales at this point, you can proceed with your case. And you know, from my perspective, if you have questions as we go through, it's, it's relatively informal and we can, we can kind of um, you know, drill down on some issues if, if you want, whatever, whatever, your, whatever your preference is. Um, I guess the only two specific points to um, what um, Mr. Rosales presented, um, was that the transaction on um, May 25th, 2017, 
to transfer US dollars into euros. It had a fee in it. It was just built into the exchange rate, um, which you can, which I have some information on when I, when I present my information. Um, and then I, I didn't quite capture, this is more of a question, how you factored for the fact that the boat was eight months old uh, at the valuation of January 1st, 2019, the lean date. Um, I based it on when it was shipped in, it arrived into, I think the port of Oakland, I believe. So it may have been a little bit older. I don't know when the date of completion was on the other side of the pond was. Uh, the, the boat was completed about February 1st, 2018. Okay. Uh, it arrived in Oakland, uh, either the 23rd or the 24th of March, um, 2018. And then it spent uh, a week in Guest Marina until I could get it to Belmar and Keys. That seems reasonable. I, I, I agree it would be then 10 months old or 11 months old when it came in. Okay. Um, or when it was assessed as of lean date, I'm sorry. So, so is, is um, that included in your math? It's kind of my question. Um, it wouldn't change the depreciation rates I, I demonstrated. It wouldn't change that in my math at all. Okay. All right. Um, okay, I'm gonna pull up the first document that um, we should upload to the chat is assessment appeal summary. It's a Word document. uploaded there. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know how much detail everyone wants to get into. I, I guess we probably should upload files so that they're on the record. Um, the this uh, summarizes all, all the documents that I have. The original contract uh, was dated May 18th, 2017 for 97,395 euros. And um, I believe that's a scanned copy. I should have the file names if you need them on my computer. This would be uh, titled Original Contract in Euros Fully Executed. And it's a PDF. And then concurrent with the execution of that contract, um, there was a first invoice, which that is actually only available in paper copy. So only Mr. Rosales has that right now. Um, however, the payment for that is available um, and titled Payment 1, Transfer USD, Transfer Fee in Rate, 26 May 2017, and that's a PDF file. 
Um, and then the way I calculated a difference um, between what was actually transferred into euros and um, what was a transaction fee by looking at the daily market conversion rate, um, which, you know, depending on your source might change a little bit, which is um, when we get to the bottom of my analysis, I came up with a slightly different figure than I have put on the DMV form. Um, but I calculated it at uh, 0 0.8853 um, euros per dollar. And that would make uh, the transaction fee to be $263.35, which is, was not in um, Mr. Rosales' analysis. The supporting transfer rate information is titled US dollar to Euro spot exchange rates for May 2017. It's a PDF file that can be uploaded. The good news is that the, um, follow, the next two transactions are easier to review because they separated out the fees from the um, actual amount that was converted to euros. The files for the second transaction, which was in October 2017, are invoice two in euros dated October 17th, 2017, PDF. Payment two, transfer USD, including fee, 31 October 2017, that's a PDF. Then of course, over the construction of the boat, I added some things and removed some things um, from the specification. So the final configuration of the boat is listed in the PDF file titled final boat configuration. And that would be um, a January, 2018 file. And then evidence of, of the, actually there's a invoice, invoice three in euros dated January 18th, 2018. And there's the final payment, payment three transfer USDs, including fee, um, 21st January, 2018. Okay, and then there's the shipping invoice of February 1st, 2018. Uh, which is a got a, an odd title uh, shipping invoice s zero 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 seven five four one g e o k u n n o t first february twenty eighteen pdf um, i provided electronic copies of, of the assessment statements, but um, I think you have those on file, so we probably don't need to upload those. Um, and then kind of the last thing would be the executed DMV title application. That's a PDF file. Um, and it was also in my application form. 
So essentially, I guess my point was that um, the vessel should not be taxed. And again, this I understand you have certain rules, and so this might might require waivers. I'm not sure what can be done, but um, you know, somewhere between the figure of one fourteen nine thirteen forty one cents and one fourteen nine twenty four zero zero cents was what was paid for the boat, the physical boat, um, no shipping, no taxes, uh, no escape assessment. Um, and then, you know, so obviously it's, it seems like I'm going to be resting on your kindness for any sort of waivers due to the fact that I tried to do this whole thing in a timely manner and um, I just didn't have all the information to know that I was supposed to file and declaration of a value of a property over 100,000. I actually thought that the assessed value also would come out just under 100,000 for the first year. Might be my bad there. And then um, going back to the original appeal. Um, I did put try to put some comparable values on there. Uh, and um, to Mr. Rosales's point, there are very, there's only six of these boats in the US and, and others are different models. So they might be a 33 foot model. Um, the SE26 has been replaced with the Safir SE27 Leisure. And I'm looking at page seven of my appeals application. Um, and they were selling two new boats in 2020, model year 2020, uh, for 89,177. And a second one was $84,075. Um, one was based in Newport, Rhode Island, and the other one was based in the Netherlands. So, um, I, I, I guess I'm somewhat constrained by the rules of the way this works, but um, I have done my best effort to get this boat properly registered, both with DMV. I wasn't trying to escape any taxes. Um, I want the county to have a fair amount of tax based on its valuation, and I think that should be relatively based on what I could sell the vessel for. I don't think when I received it, I doubt I could have sold it for more than 100,000. So I don't have anything else to add unless there's questions. So I, I, would, I would have one, just one question. So as far as your opinion of the value, what is the, is it the 97,735 that's on the DMV application or is it a different, what would the actual number be? I think it would probably be the DMV application. Okay, and, th and that's primarily based on these two comparable sales? Well, or, or offers for sale. Yeah, the reason why there's a difference between the DMV application and the number that I put on the appeal was because I didn't have those numbers um, when I did the DMV application. And so I thought, well, I'd, I'd lower it for the appeal. But I will stick with the fact that I think what I put on the DMV application was fair. Well, I and I, from my perspective, I'm not. I, I'm just asking which one that you you would. If, if you if you if you're using these comparables as as a, a basis for a different number, I'm just asking what the number is, just so. 
I'm clear. I, I would go with my original number on the D, DMV application. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Rosales, if you have questions, please go ahead. You're muted right now, Mr. Rosales. Thank you for reminding me of that. Um, I do have a few questions. Um, so your reported purchase price to the DMV is 114924 Did that include shipping and or sales tax? It did not. It did not. So shipping was 6100 right? Yes. And then how much did you pay for sales tax? Did you pay that to the state, to the franchise tax board? Um, I paid a... Um tariff and what was that tariff um i don't have that in front of me it was probably two and a half or three percent who did you pay that to i'm sorry uh to um the u.s treasury so were you required to pay any sales tax to either the california franchise tax board or the california department of fee and tax administration so my understanding is that um, when you pay a tariff, you do not pay um, state taxes. Okay. And what, it was 2%, you said? It, it was between 2 and 3%. I will try to find a record while I'm on the phone with you here. So if that wouldn't affect our valuation in California, based on California law, when we apply sales tax as an element of value, but excluding that, would it be safe to say that the tariff came out to about three thousand, maybe? Um, I would assume so. Yeah. So your net costs would have been closer to about maybe I don't know, one hundred and twenty-four thousand, maybe, when you add the shipping and the tariff. Um, I'd have to do, I'd, I'd have to be precise on the math. I, I suppose yeah. it would be in that ballpark. In that ballpark. So that's about 10,000 more than, or close to 10,000 more than what you reported as the purchase price. Um, does your market value of 97,735, does that include a component or an element of value for shipping and taxes? No, again, I'm using my experience from a, a different state, and those things were not subject to valuation in that state. Okay. Um, that's all the questions I have. Thank you. And just before we proceed, you know, is, I just want to make sure that Mr. Board Member Gremmels is, I see his computer, but I think I, am I missing him? Just want to make sure that he's uh, board member Gremmels. If you're able to just confirm that you're still here and, and um, able to view and hear the presentation. Does anyone else see him? Maybe maybe it's my view. No? Sure, okay. cool man. It looks like we lost him. Okay, let's let's just wait. Let's just wait. In fact, you know what? How about this? Why don't we just take maybe a ten minute break? We'll wait for him to get back on. Um, it's ten eleven uh, by my watch. How about we say? Um, 
at 10 30 give people 15 minutes here that'll give time and then so we'll, we'll come back in, in you know 18 19 minutes at 10 30 um and we'll proceed with this over uh, this matter okay okay sounds good all right thank you all right we'll see everybody in a few minutes
We are live. Okay, we're back on the record here with the uh, Cooney Home Matter. Um, I think we had a few other questions that we wanted to kind of go through, but before I do that, I just want to make sure, Mr. Cooney Home, have you completed your, your uh, presentation or anything that you want to add before we kind of finish your uh, presentation? Um, <laughs> during the break, I was able to locate what was paid for the uh, tariff. So unfortunately, it's in the form of an email, but I can upload it. Uh, let me see. It will come through as PDF. So it's custom formalities, Seth, here, 26. The very end of the email thread has the valuation um, of 114.924, and there's a penny in there as well. Um, and then there's three different percentage tax rates that get assessed. One is one and a half, one is an eighth of a percent, and the other one is 
percent, all those percentages and fees can be found at the other end of the email. I apologize, you're gonna to have to navigate through that. I did the math um, in Excel and uh, I come up with a total figure for the tariff of 2,825 and 61 cents. Okay, I'll just note as I'm looking at this, this email, it looks to be more like a screenshot and not some not the entire email. Um, maybe maybe what I downloaded is wrong or I'm-, I'm Let me double check on my end. I'm navigating I, well. I didn't have time to proof it, so let me check. Well, while you look at Mr. Kuno, while you look for that, is there anything else regarding your presentation that you wanna advance at the moment? Uh, that would be the only piece of missing information is getting that uploaded properly. Yeah, so when you find that, go ahead and upload that. We'll take a second to make sure that's entered into the record. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it did not come out right. I will work on reprinting that. Okay. So as we proceed, uh, Mr. Chair, I do have some questions, probably directed more towards, whoop, we still there? Probably directed more towards Brandon and the assessor's office, but I'm looking at uh, section 441A on the uh, potential penalty issue. And it says that each person owning taxable personal property other than a manufactured home having an aggregate cost of $100,000 or more or any assessment year shall file a signed property statement with the assessor. And my question to you, Brandon, and to the assessor's office is what does the word cost mean in that section versus why, why didn't the legislature just use the word value or market value? Um, if you could do some digging on that or maybe find some cases or a submit some kind of short brief um that would help me kind of understand what that word cost means in 441a and then i guess the second question i have in general is is this guy paying is mr cunion paying two penalties because he didn't file the form in two years so now it's almost twenty four thousand dollars in penalties is that can someone from the assessor's office speak to that so um he sorry. didn't he didn't receive any penalties for any subsequent years, um, but let me confirm that by looking at his account here in my system. Just give me one second here. And board member Weathers, just to answer your first question and to make my appearance, this is Brandon Halter, counsel for the assessor. Um, so we actually discussed that briefly uh, on the break. And um, my understanding from assessor is that uh, and my view of the statute also is that the, it should be interpreted on its face to be very purposeful in, in the use of the word cost versus value. The, the, the legislature has been clear throughout the revenue and taxation code that when it wants to use the word value, it knows how to do so. Um, the assessor's uh, position is that cost uh, in this instance is equal to purchase price. When you're talking about personal property, you're talking about the cost, you're talking about the purchase price, and that is a fixed figure. So that carries over from year to year. Um, and I will defer to assessor staff to the extent I'm mis misspeaking on any of that, but that is, uh, I believe, the assessor's position. I, I would defer to tax rule 10, which is exhibit number two 
um, there's a there's a good definition there of what is full economic cost and the components that go into it. Uh, and Mr. Halter, can I ask a follow-up question, please? If, if you know the answer. So for this type of penalty, is there any basis for abatement at, at, any, at any level, right? Is there any sort of reasonable cause exception or any procedures that apply or is it simply uh, kind of, uh, if it's late, it's just assessed and there's no, um, no removal of the penalty, if you know. Mr. Kugelman, I will um, not waste your time by speculating. My under I am not aware of an exception, but your question justifies a little bit more attention. So let me uh, dig, in it, dig into that slightly, if you will allow me to do that. And then I will make sure I get back to you with something firmer. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. And then um, I have a couple of questions for Mr. Cunningham, just regarding the filing. So for, for it sounds like, or my understanding is that you, for 2020, and, and correct me if I'm, I'm misstating this, for 2020, you, the, the form was, was timely filed. The property statement was timely filed. Is that accurate? Am I, am I understanding that? As far as I know, I filed everything I received in a timely manner. Uh, the only things that I guess was not timely was things I didn't know about. Okay, so what caused you in 2020 to file the form, to file the property statement? Um, I assume that through the registration process that um, the assessor's office caught up and, and sent me the form. Okay, so the assessor's office, it's something that maybe the DMV triggered something and sent it out. Is that right, Mr. Rosales? Correct. Uh, we sent him a form on January 17th, 2020. Okay. And he filed by February the 3rd, which is about two weeks afterwards. Okay. Do you have any idea typically when the DMV provides information to the county? Is it, is it on a rolling basis or do you get kind of a, a property, you know, a, a dump of records at a certain time of the year? Typically on a quarterly basis, but it also depends on how soon they update their records. So we're dependent on when they update their records. So... So again, my understanding is that Mr. Cunningham did file with the DMV. And Mr. Cunningham, did you say at the beginning of 2019? Yeah, it was, um, I believe it was January 28th, 2018. I filed the DMV paperwork while the, the boat was still in shipping. Okay. So, I mean, typically then, and anybody from the assessor's office, I mean, if they know the answer, typically the, the county would have been notified in an ordinary course sometime in the spring of 19 which would have triggered kind of a similar type of procedure. Is, is that generally right? Uh, just a correction. I think that would be 2018, not 2019. I guess my question to Mr. Cunningham would be, when did the DMV assign the CF registration number to you? Do you recall that? Um. I don't recall the exact date. I know I had it in hand by the time the boat arrived. Okay. Because I, I know from, you know, my perspective, this is not necessarily an obvious requirement, right? And it seems like kind of the process, which sounds like a good one, is that the DMV notifies the county, the county notifies the taxpayer, the taxpayer timely files the form, and kind of everyone's in good shape. And it seems like for whatever reason that just didn't happen. I'm not saying that's necessarily the, the assessor's office's responsibility, 
Um, but it seems to be kind of a little bit of a, I'm just trying to understand what just specifically with the respect to the, from the DMV form being filed to the notification, it sounds like it was a year plus. Is that right? I mean, just from, if I'm stating it correctly. Let me see in my system when we created the account here. It was created, oh, give me a minute here. I wanna make sure I have the right date here. You know what, I'm gonna pass. I, I'm having a hard time figuring when it was created, the account. Okay. Um, board members, if I may briefly interrupt to follow up on, on previous answer while we're working on this. Um, board member Kugelman, to your question about the, the discretion related to the penalty, um, I believe the assessor's comments earlier were, were that the assessor does not have the discretion to reduce that penalty or abate that penalty. I think that is accurate. However, under section under revenue and taxation 463C, your board, I believe, has the authority to abate or reduce the penalty uh, provided it makes certain findings. And I think those findings uh, need to be supported by evidence um, but I believe you do have the power to do that. Uh, I can read it to you if, if you would like. If the assessee establishes to the satisfaction of the County Board of Equalization or the Assessment Appeals Board that the failure to file the property statement within the time required by Section 441 was due to reasonable cause and circumstances beyond the assessee's control and occurred notwithstanding the exercise of ordinary care in the absence of willful neglect, it may order the penalty abated, et cetera. So um, I hope that goes some way towards answering your question. Thank you. I, I appreciate you doing that. And this is also supported in the assess, assessment appeals handbook, page 56 at the very bottom. Okay. So then I guess my question would be in light of that standard, does the assessor's office have a position with respect to, do you think based on what, what, what the assessor's office has heard to this point, is there a position that the taxpayer acted with you know, exercise ordinary care and has reasonable, and, there, and, that, and that there does exist reasonable cause in this case to um, reduce or abate that penalty. And, and I will say if the assessor's office wants to take a moment to discuss that, I think we're, I'd be fine with that. Or if there's someone who wants to answer that, I'd be interested. Can we take a couple of minutes to discuss, yeah. um, Mr. Chair, if we could be provided in the breakout room? Yeah. Why don't we do a breakout room and uh, I got 10.53. Why don't we, why don't we come back at 11.05, is that enough time, 10, 10, 12 minutes? Yeah, that's plenty of time, thank you. Yeah, if you take us to breakout rooms, please. In breakout rooms. Thank you.
we are live. Okay, we're back on the record. Uh, and Mr. Cunahome, and then Sessor's office, I see we have, uh, are we missing uh, board member Gremmels? Is he still in the breakout room? I don't think no. so. I think Mr. Gremmels has dropped off again. Um, let's give him a couple minutes, I guess.
We are live. Okay, thank you. So at this moment, uh, board member Gremmels has dropped off. We're gonna proceed um, for the moment. So we left it where we posed the question to the assessor's office view on whether um, the standard had been met. Thank you, board members. I'll briefly address that. So uh, thank you for allowing us time to confer. As we had mentioned, the statute here that's applicable is 463C. Um, as you see in that statute, uh, it does not allow abatement or reduction of the penalty unless your board finds um, that the uh, applicant here or the assessee, as, as it's phrased in the statute, um, exercised ordinary care and that the failure to file the property statement was due to reasonable cause and circumstances beyond the assessee's control. Um, with respect to Miss, uh, with all due respect to Mr. Cunaholm, this isn't personal, but our our view is that that standard has not been met here. Uh, what we've heard in terms of the evidence that has been submitted as to why the property statement wasn't filed by the applicant, all we've heard is that um, the applicant has uh, ties to a different state, and there was some confusion as to how that state handles. Um, the assessment of property taxes versus how this state handles it. Uh, with, res you know, with all due respect, we think that that's really not, that's not good cause. Simply being ignorant of the laws of uh, the state where the property is located is not uh, reasonable care. Uh, it is not um, the exercise of ordinary care. And it is certainly not, even if it met those two standards, uh, it doesn't, the failure here doesn't uh, arise from circumstances beyond uh, the applicant's control, at least as far as the evidence that we've heard. So we're not hearing anything that there were some, you know, there were some circumstances present in uh, applicant's life that prevented him from accessing the materials required, or that there was some, uh, you know, aspect of society at large that prevented him from doing that. We just don't see the, the requirements being met here. And unfortunately, they do have to be met or your board has to find that they are met in order for there to be a reduction. So that's that's the, the, the assessor's position in terms of what we've heard of the evidence so far. Okay, thank you for that. And and just, just so I just wanna confirm a couple of facts that I believe Mr. Rosales said. I guess the first would be that the statement was filed, I think a couple of weeks after the county had notified the applicant. Is that about right as far as the timeline, as far as 2020 is concerned? Is that correct in that correct. The timeline? Correct. And then the second thing would be just, not that there is a, a legal obligation, but typically the county does notify taxpayers after receiving, like the, 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 the process that did happen for 2020 with respect to the applicant is typically what happens in ordinary course for the county. Is that right? Correct. Our system is set up that if the aggregate cost of your vessel is over 100000 we permanently send you a statement every year. But first, we have to identify that. Um, so it doesn't matter how old the boat is. If the cost is over that threshold, we'll send you annually a statement. Okay. Okay. I see that board member Gremmels is back. Any, um, any further questions for the applicant or for um, the assessor's office? Yeah, this is uh, board member Weathers. Uh, Mr. Kunaholm, you've heard what the assessor's office has said in response uh, to your request to abate the penalty. 
How would you respond to that? You know, I, <clears throat> I did everything within my knowledge. Um, I'm not going to move to a new county and read all the legislation that applies to that county. Uh, there's no information posted at marinas or yacht clubs or any uh, on the sailing forums around the bay about this fact. Um, so I'm at a loss. There was no way that I could have known it. Um. Okay. Uh, would either of the parties like to make any sort of closing statement or is, is what's been presented sufficient? Um, yes, I would like to. Um, okay, please proceed. Um, I'm still confused as to what the applicant's opinion of value is. I know he has stated that it's the value on the DMV registration. That was registered in November of 18 before he received the boat. The lien date in question is 1119 or 11 months outside. He purchased it or he stated a purchase price of 114. So when he re registered it with the DMV, he automatically or he recorded a value that was much lower than his what than is what his recorded purchase price is. I don't know if the applicant has identified what type of obsolescence, obsolescence would have occurred on this particular vessel when it was still new to arrive at a lower market value than cost. Um, and I don't know if his market value is inclusive of sales tax and shipping. Um, I do wanna ask the board when you make your determination to delineate between that because administratively for us, we need to know based on our system, what is the base cost pre-tax and pre-penalty. We need to know what is the value for sales tax. And if the penalty is imposed, what is the value of the penalty based on that base value and sales tax? So whatever value is determined, can you please break that cost out for us? It would help me in our system to to identify the cost components between sales tax, penalty, and base value. Um, in terms of the tariff paid, I believe that would have been to a federal agency. I don't believe that absolves the applicant from paying the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration. That's still a sales or that's still a value component that we have to arrive at in our valuation. Um, Unless he got an exclusion from that, the, the California Department of Tax and Fee, I don't know if the applicant qualified for an exclusion. Great, uh, and I'm sorry to, uh, to, to interrupt and, and make this conversational. If I may ask uh, Rick a question, just so mm -hmm. that this may simplify that ask, that last ask that he had for the board members, because I feel like that's a big ask um, in making a determination as to what the sales tax might be and um, tariffs and delivery charges. Rick, would it be um, uh, simplistic enough and provide enough information for you if the board provided what they thought the fair market value of the boat was as of the lien date? And then you can infill with the rest of the, the accessible, accessible charges. 
Yeah, I could work with that as long as the board tells me this is an all-inclusive market value, inclusive of, of sales tax, and identify if the penalty was included or not, and then I could work backwards. Okay, and until, so, so just the market value of the boat. Yes, correct. Okay, okay. Thank you. I just wanted to simplify that for the board members. Thank you. Yeah, and last but not least, the sales comps that were presented were outside of the lien date in question. Um, we feel they're not reliable sales comps. They would have to be near the lien date, 1119. Um, and if they were outside, the applicant would have to make adjustments. There was no adjustments made. Um, so I feel like the sales comps aren't reliable sales comps in this particular case. Um, and in closing, um, the assessor feels that the value that we enrolled does represent market value. Um, and it's inclusive of, of full economic costs using the cost approach. Um, and as opposed to what the state directed us not to apply depreciation, the assessor did apply depreciation. And depending on the figures that you look at, um, we, we either applied 4% depreciation using Mr. Cooney Holmes cost, taking full economic costs, we actually applied 9% depreciation. Thank you for your time board. Thank you, Mr. Rosales. Your, your presentation was uh, uh, very well received. So thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Cunningham, do you have any uh, uh, closing statements? Um, well, to Mr. Rosales's point, uh, the reason why there was a difference between the actual purchase price paid and uh, what I declared as the fair market value is as with any new item, like a new car, um, as soon as you purchase it, it's very hard to sell it for the same amount that you paid for it. Um, I don't know if the percentage I took off is, is appropriate. I thought that the assessor's office would have guidelines on that. Um, I don't know how you treat new cars, um, but anyhow, uh, that's why there was a difference in that value. The um, comps that I provided, um, the reason why they were not timely is because um, this whole appeal process hadn't started and that's what was available on the dates that I started this appeal process. Um, those are newer model years and it is actually a slightly bigger boat. Um, so those would actually be higher valuations than my boat. Um, so I do, again, I understand your perspective on the cost basis perspective. Um, I guess I'm really struggling with the fact that um, there's no way that my boat was ever valued that high. And I'm also troubled with the fact that I followed as much as I could to register the boat early. It was January 28th, uh, 2018. I filled out the paperwork before it was um, approximately two, two months before I received the boat. Um, and somehow the process um, did not execute. It was very far behind. So um, that's all I really have to say in closing here. Thank you. Fellow board members, do we want to go in a breakout room or? Well, my recommendation would be just to take this under submission. But if you want to go to a breakout room and discuss, I'm no, good let's, I think under submission. So I'll, I'll make a motion to take the matter under submission. I'll second. Board member Weathers. Aye. Board member Gremmels. Yes. Chair Kugelman. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Cunningham. Cooney home. Thank you, Mr. Rosales. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
And Madam Clerk, if you would call the final matter. Okay, the next case is 20-0011. The applicant is Darren D. Ruder. This case does involve stipulations and I will upload followed by the application. And Ms. Wild, will you be uh, presenting on behalf of the assessor's office here? Yes, I will. Okay. Is, is the, I take it the applicant is not here? The applicant is not here. Okay. Maybe while we're opening this, I, I think maybe the best way to approach this might be just if you can give us a little background on what's going on, we can open it, take a look, and then we might go to a breakout room just to review the stipulation for just briefly and then maybe come back with a few questions. Sure. Um, so the property in question is an office building in downtown San Rafael. It's a converted Victorian home with a small residential cottage uh, in the rear. The property was purchased um, in 2015 for uh, $1,280,000. The property has been in decline for several years. The lien date value was one million for uh, 20. 20 was $1,445,000. Um, in speaking with the property owner, uh, more evidence was presented about the condition of the property and enough information was gained to warrant a reduction in the fair market value as of lien date 2020. Uh, using the income approach as well as the sales comparison approach, uh, both the assessor and the applicant agreed that the fair market value as of lien date uh, 2020 was $1,250,000. Okay. Um, okay, well, how about we just go into a breakout room? Um, if, if the assessor's office doesn't mind just kind of hanging on. Um, if they want to go into a breakout room while we're doing that, it might be two, might be five. We'll, we'll take a look at it and then we'll end the breakout room, come back and let you know if we have any questions. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Open in breakout rooms.
breakout rooms are closed. Chair Kugelman. Okay, this would be the 10 second warning, please. We are live. Okay, we've reviewed um, the stipulation. We don't have any questions. Uh, so I'll make a, a motion to accept the stipulation. I'll second it. Board member Weathers? Yes. Board member Gremmels? Yes. Chair Kugelman? Yes. Thank you, Ms. Weld. And then I guess the last uh, item on the agenda is the two-year deadline report. Is there any anything there to discuss? It's being uploaded right now. And Madam Clerk, very good job for your first attempt at this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the monkey's off your back. And board members, assuming that this wraps up relatively quickly, why don't we just finish up in a breakout room after the hearing closes? Great. And I'm, I'm still not seeing the two-year report. Yeah, I'm not either. Once it comes up, just give me a second to look at it and I'll, I'll brief you guys on it. Okay, um, so the two-year deadline report, the first case we just heard today, um, the, uh, the second case, Baggett, is scheduled for the next hearing, February 25th. Um, the McQuinn case was um, postponed due to um, uh, the applicant wanting to have an in-person hearing, so I believe they have filed a waiver and um, the reader case was just the stipulation that you'd had. Uh, Reich was a failure to, failure appear. to appear. And then um, again, the last three are part, I guess, in connection with the, uh, the second one and it's scheduled for the, uh, the next hearing on the 25th of this month. So there's your two year deadline report. Thank you, Mr. CB. Any comments or questions from anyone? Any other matters to discuss? All right, then I would make a motion to adjourn the hearing. Second. Board member Weathers? Yes. Board member Gremmels? Yes. Chair Kugelman? Yes.
All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Have a nice weekend. Thank yep. you for your Have a good weekend. Thank you. And then, Alex, do we stay on? Yeah, I think I think uh, they'll put us in a breakout room. Okay. All right. Thank you, board. Thank you. Thank you. And board members, before.